Hey dudes and dudettes, what's going on? Welcome to episode number seven of the Lepreston Guest Podcast. My guest today is one of my oldest and most cherished friends. She was my first new friend I had in my youth group, someone who made me feel incredibly welcome. Please give it up for my friend Tara McCartney. And as always, thank you so much for always supporting the Lepreston Guest Podcast. get it recording but thank you so much for for coming out today and glad we able to got you linked uh, up like the first one like honestly yeah my birthday it was just weird like you know obviously yeah, tell we me about it dinner with the littles and stuff and that was great um how are they and how much of the conversation was centered around me all of it all of it oh no i'm just kidding yeah it was a good time but it was you know it's just my first birthday out here really without looking so where were you before because all right Walk me through, were you originally born in Texas? No, actually I was originally born in Florida and then uh, moved up here with my dad's job and uh, that's when I was lucky enough to meet you and at, you know, the church and whatnot. And, Bless up. And yeah. honestly, I don't think I was effing devastated when you guys moved. You want to know how much I connected with you, T-Dog? Mm-hmm. So my sister eventually when I moved out, she took my old room upstairs, but I used to have people come over and sign my door uh, because I remember you guys had mm-hmm, that one beam mm-hmm. inside there and you would have people come over and sign it. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And that's why between my preschool and happening to be at St. Andrews, that's why I did the handprint thing yeah. is I want to create some type of memorable experience and something that people don't forget. Yeah, for sure. I actually started doing that when I moved out to Texas after I left here and I did it on my closet doors. And, uh, when we, when my parents sold that house, that was uh, a little, a little sad to see that go for sure. But, Uh, Oh, of course it's probably related to and connected to so many memories and good times. So now that you're back in Atlanta, did you just recently come back from Texas? Yeah, I came back in August, um, to go to Georgia state and, uh, I don't want to say, midlife crisis because I'm only 30, but midlife crisis. And I decided to have a little career change. So that's why I decided to come out here and, you know, change of scenery, but not a complete change of scenery. Cause I was able to come back to some familiar faces here. So what were you doing before out in Texas in terms of uh, career or what you were pursuing? I was a chef. Um, nice. I owned a donut shop, uh, up until, uh, really the pandemic. And, and yet I'm sitting here without donuts in front of me. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. And I was sorry. in the no process pressure. No, no worries. of looking for a new spot. Um, I just put my equipment in a storage facility and then the pandemic started the next month. So I kind of saw that as an opportunity to sell my stuff and leave Texas and come out here. Well, Man, that's that's quite a transition. Yeah. How's it? How's how's the adjustment been going for you? It's been interesting, uh, to say the least. Going from you know being in the service industry forever to now I'm you know I'm out here doing pre-law, so it's a little bit of a, a change to say the least. Uh, different environment for sure, but I definitely am welcome welcoming the change. Yeah. So in terms of being a chef and then switching to pre-law and 
trying to pursue some type of law, criminal justice, something in that field. What, how'd you transition to that? What was the catalyst and the thinking of wanting to pursue a career in some type of legal area? Uh, to be honest, I've always had a passion for the justice system somewhat. Uh, and then it's definitely a part of my story, but I went through the justice system and I saw how unjust it was. And so I'd kind of pick the service industry as, I don't want to say a fallback, but something I always knew I could do at the time when, um, I had a record and then I was able to get my record, uh, with judicial clemency. And, you know, it kind of made me mad because I was like, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done that needs to be changed in the system. And I just, I wasn't happy with being in the service industry anymore. So I just said, you know what? Like, I'm going to make the change, I guess, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? You can't just complain about stuff. You got to go do it. Yeah. At a certain point, you know, life is going to deal, deal you the set of cards you get and you can bitch and moan about it. And yep. nobody's necessarily, you know, arguing that it's not fair, but at a certain point, yeah. it's like, what, what do you think type of results are going to come from you just complaining about exactly. it and not putting action behind it? Exactly. I didn't want to say you can pitch about it and not change it, but I didn't want to know if I could use that word, but yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're, uh, we're an explicit podcast. Okay. I, I try not to use, I don't want to be those ones to use yes. it as fillers. Yes. Some people, man, when you hear someone curse a lot and they're using it as fillers and not just to you know, just that right amount of seasoning, mm -hmm. just to really add emphasis. It, I mirror it back on myself, and I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, if I sound like that, I think they sound uneducated. Yeah. So absolutely. I. Okay, cool. But yeah, basically, I. Yeah, you can say fuck and shit and all that stuff. <laughs> um, Earmuffs, Grammy. Sorry. Yeah. Basically, yeah, I was in the service industry because it was a fallback because I felt like I got screwed over by the justice system. And then when I was no longer screwed over by the justice system, I decided I wasn't going to just bitch about it anymore. And I was going to make a change. So, so there we go. Unedited. Yeah. <laughs> and you feel free to share whatever you feel comfortable with, but are you able to elaborate a little more yeah, on what absolutely. you mean by getting screwed over yeah, by the, it's so, weird. It's weird to hear that the government did anything to screw anyone over. That's, that's absolutely. not like them. Shocker. Uh, I'm actually super open about my story and I kind of use it really to kind of drive what I do. So I was in college station, Texas, uh, Texas A&M and I was, um, I don't want to say wrongfully convicted because that's the wrong word to use, but in my eyes, wrongfully convicted of a possession of a controlled substance, uh, mm -hmm. which is a felony. Yeah. And basically my car was unlocked and the officers went through it without consent or anything with that. And the, somebody had a controlled substance. Um, it was Adderall in my car and, uh, it was in somebody's bag. Yeah. Um, but if it's your car, it's your possession. That's, so that's a little, that's own the car, um, after, after they had already searched it, I got arrested for it. So, you know, I, at that time had faith in the justice system and thought that everything would play out how it was supposed to, but it didn't. Um, it took me about three years to get to court. And by the time I went to court, uh, and I mean, thankfully my parents, you know, had the money and we were able to get me a lawyer. I wasn't stuck with a public defender, which that's something we could 
have five million episodes on within itself. But sure. um, I was able to, you know, get a lawyer and I, by the time we get to trial by jury, which you think is going to be the most American thing that you see, you know, like that's, it, you hear about all the time, a jury yeah. of your peers. And not a single person was anywhere close to even looking like me. And also... So they were all ugly. Yes. And uh, exactly. No. So when we went to the judge and my lawyer said, you know, we don't even have consent to search this vehicle. This officer basically was around checking locks on cars and this one happened to be unlocked. And the officer said, well, I got her consent, but I was just too far away from the squad car. So I couldn't pick it up. So, yeah, exactly, which means I never asked her, but the judge said, oh, okay, I believe you, and then let everything in. So then my whole case was kind of screwed, and I ended up getting um, five years probation, um, and I served all of it, and while I was on probation, uh, there were a couple of mishaps. Like, one time, one of my uh, classes I had to do, they spelt my name wrong. And I sat in jail for nine days uh, because they spelled my name wrong. Over a clerical error. Yes. And that's, that's so ridiculous. by the time I was getting off of probation, the pandemic had just started and they were doing Zoom hearings. And uh, I got a letter in the mail saying that I had the potential for judicial clemency and uh, dismissal of probation hearing. And this is already technically two months after I had been off. And... I call my lawyer. He, they didn't even send him a court summons, but he basically told me judicial clemency doesn't happen. Uh, since we're doing this whole zoom court thing, they're probably just listing on the calendar, everything that can be heard. Um, and, but don't get your hopes up. And I said, all right, cool. So when I went to that hearing, I basically kind of I don't want to say sweet talk the judge, but you know, <laughs> sweet talk the judge. And I got my judicial clemency, which means I no longer have to check that box that says I've been convicted of a felony. And with that, I decided, yes, that's amazing. But I also really just gave you my entire thirties because I was 20 when I got arrested and 29 by the time this was going on. So all they said is cool. You technically don't have a record anymore. And I just thought that wasn't fair um, after I just gave them nine years of my life. And I decided I was going to go to law school because I don't think that's fair. <laughs> well, that's kudos to you for coming out of it through such a stressful, unfortunate situation. And it feels like you have two options from there. <laughs> and the other one could have gone drastically the other way where you're just thinking, oh, F this system, it screwed me over, so I'm just gonna just gonna try and return the favor and you know, that's it feels like that's how we get to states we're currently in right yeah. now. It's cause people get screwed over by the system unfairly and then they kind of just lose faith in humanity as a whole and you do crazy erratic behavior. Absolutely. So you're you're getting into law now. Yes. Are are you gonna try and become an attorney? Yes, I am one of those crazy people that says I want to be a public defender for a while. Um, so I want to be overworked and underpaid, but you know, that's what I'm signing up for. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you're a public defender, is it is it like other types of law where my 
Tara, when you're first going to law school or your undergrad, when do you actually decide what discipline of law you want to pursue? Because you can do something like tax law, correct? You can do business law. Yeah, There's absolutely. so many different umbrellas of law you can study. When do you kind of have to, if ever, finalize, decide, and choose? Um, definitely not in your undergrad. You can go into law school really with any kind of degree. Um, I mean, I've seen people go in with everything from English to history. Um, I'm getting mine in law and society, which is kind of a catch-all, and I am able to uh, do everything from nonprofit law to constitutional and criminal justice stuff. Um, but really your first, from what I know, at least your first year or two, even of law school really are, you're just learning a lot of everything. When you go through law school, you sure. have to, it's kind of almost like going through getting your AA. You have to do a little bit of the basics of everything. Um, so I don't know, even if a lot of people really decide until their last year, really, but I already know what I want to do. So it makes it a little bit easier, I guess, just because, I mean, I kind of did give up my career to do this, you know, like I know what I want to do. So I'm able to focus on the classes I'm taking yeah. and stuff. Like I'm not kind of just taking a whole bunch of random classes. I really, in my undergrad already just focused on a lot of specific areas. So what about is there a time in law school that you need to decide whether you're going to become a defense attorney or a prosecutor? How does that decision get made? I'm not really sure yet, uh, to be honest with you. I feel like that's something people probably figure out their second or third year. Um, unfortunately, uh, becoming a defense attorney, like, you're going to have to probably start out with the public defender's office to get, you know, a reputation and to get a name. Um, and obviously to get in the system and whatnot. Uh, and they're underpaid for sure. Uh, prosecutors are definitely paid more. So I feel like that's why a lot of people kind of choose to be on the quote unquote good guy side. But you know, it's, uh, I think everyone, I've seen people make switches too. So. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on what life events occur and just, numerous stories and stuff can impact how you feel about stuff. Yeah. I think that's, I find it funny how we humans expect everybody once they decide or declare for something, you've got to do that the rest of your life. And we give them no grace or mercy to evolve and change. And then if they do change then they maybe even come to a more compassionate point of view or understand, Oh, you're a sellout. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, a lot of people thought I was crazy and they're really, you're, you're 28 and you're going to start on your pre-law, you know, you're going to be like 30 something by the time you're done. And well, I guess, I guess I am, but I would, you know, it's I, fine. I would argue that it would have been crazy for you to stick in a career that would have left you just happy at best. Exactly. I, I think that's crazier Absolutely. to just maybe make you comfortable to where you're meeting your most basic human needs and not living. Life. And that's something I'm struggling with right now. I've been going through ruts of stuff and it's pretty simple to me. It's like, Hey dummy, you're falling off your workout routine. You're, oh, man, you're, yeah. you're not eating your healthy that. diet. You I'm know, guilty of that. you're not doing all of that stuff. So excuse yeah. me as I drink my protein coffee. Nice. <laughs> what you, uh, was that from Starbucks or did you, well, I, uh, you know, being a 
now 31, uh, you know, congratulations, uh, you know, 30 year old college student this year, I learned the, uh, art of making protein coffee. So you just make your regular protein shake with uh, some almond milk and then add it to your coffee as your creamer. And it's, you know, you're killing two birds with one stone there, you know, you're filling up and you're getting your morning coffee in. So, yeah, well, to, to speak to the college grad thing, I just graduated this past year and I was, I was um, 33 when I did that. So I was always self-conscious and nervous about my, you just feel like there's some type of stigma to you Mm -hmm. when you see all of your friends graduating and stuff. And if there's anyone listening out here, one piece of advice I can give you that actually Melissa told me that was super helpful when I was complaining to her. I'm like, Melissa, I'm upset. I'm not happy. I see my friends on Facebook and Instagram taking all these vacations and then I'm getting upset about it. And then I had to stop myself and realize, oh my God, I'm getting jealous of some of my best friends enjoying their life. And she stopped me right then and there. She's like, Nick, comparison is the biggest thief of joy. Mm, Melissa, she's a smart one, man. My God, my goodness gracious. She, she, I love her so much. Me too. She is the best. How's she been doing? She's good. She's in that education field. So, you know. Bless her heart. She's doing like legitimately. I mean, you, you as well with what you're about to pursue are doing God's work. So can't thank y'all enough. Miss, Miss Little and Mr. Little too. We got to figure out a way in time we can arrange a dinner. Absolutely. I know you were just talking to moms outside. So we got to figure out a time we can all link up and throw down some food. Absolutely. So now. Here's a question I'm always curious about to ask defense attorneys mm-hmm. or people who want to pursue the defense side of law. Bring it on. How do you reconcile or try and separate your emotions if you are defending a guilty person? That is a good question and something I've been asked a lot. And I actually sat down with one of my professors uh, this year and talk to her about it. Um, the end of the day, like it's pretty, pretty obvious that, that they are guilty, whether it's video evidence or maybe if it's a case like fraud or embezzlement, you can link it and you can see, wow, even I, as your defense attorney am struggling to figure out a defense. End of the day, you always have to remember it is on the state to prove that somebody is guilty. You never have to prove your innocence. And people always really forget that. I mean, it really, you are innocent until proven guilty. So you do have to remember that. And you always have to go into everything, I feel like, with that frame of mind. That, like, you're not having to prove that you're innocent. They're having to prove that you're guilty. And so without, like, as my professor was saying, that it's, you really want to just be their advocate in that thing and make sure that they're not, even if they are guilty, they're not getting over-sentenced. That the... Uh the crime fits the punishment because unfortunately one of the big problems in our system to me personally is over sentencing. And, uh, you know, yeah. when you have people in prison for nonviolent drug offenses, such as like marijuana possession, you know, like those are people necessarily, I don't, because then they become institutionalized, which that's a whole other series on institutionalism and recidivism. But, it's just and one of those, recidivism. You mean the likelihood that you are to gonna, go back into exactly, jail. Exactly. Of course. Yeah, sorry. 
And, uh, for, for all you dum-dums out there. Sorry, I, I forget people. Sorry we're smart. <laughs> sorry, guys. Not me, Tara uh, is. But, you know, so you, you do have to be an advocate for your client. You know, that's really what she told me. That, you know, at the end of the day, you... And people say, well, aren't you scared? Because, you know, she... At one point, she worked in the Capitol Defender's Office, which means she was having people who were on, you know, facing death row. Some of the, penalty, yeah, some you know? of the toughest and, of And, the... you know, some of the most violent crimes, you know, the state of Georgia's seen, you know? And at the end of the day, you're the one person who's on their team. And you got to remember that because a lot of people are against them. And you're the one person who has to make sure that they're not getting possibly railroaded and that the state is following through on everything. Because there are so many people who have been even put to death already. And then years later, they're exonerated from something like DNA, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so you really just, as a criminal defense attorney, you just got to be the client's activist. You know what I mean? You just have to be there. You have to be their advocate to make sure that the state's following everything that they're supposed to follow. And that, in the end, like, even if your client is guilty, that they're not going to get completely screwed over. So that's how I look at it. I think, like, you're the one person who's really on their team when you look at it because you're helping them, you know? Now, as a public defendant, do you have a, excuse me, a choice of who you get to defend? No. Again, um, let's say I'm going to use a very extreme example. Say you're defending a murderer mm -hmm. and there is pretty clear and compelling video evidence that this person murdered that person. And maybe they got in an argument and it just, you could see why they got mad, but it wasn't enough to mm -hmm. go to that length. That would be, and again, I'm looking at pretty clear and compelling evidence. That would be hard for me to defend. Are you allowed to say, no, thank you. I'll wait for the next one. Go fish. Uh, I don't think as a public defender, uh, obviously, if you are just a criminal defense attorney, I think you kind of can accept whatever cases you want. Yeah, to if you not. work for your like, own firm. Or... Yeah, as a public defender, I think it's kind of you get what you get. And that's you got to learn to put emotions aside and still remember that you took an oath to do what's best to uphold the Constitution and your client. So, I mean, as hard as it's going to be, and I know it's going to be hard, um, I think I can hopefully separate that. I mean... I'm going to have to. So that's another thing is I, I think you can separate it, but I think you can only separate it to an extent. And what I mean by that, one of my favorite classes I just, I took in college was a research class and it taught you the whole concept was teaching you about the scientific method and how to do research, particularly if you're about to do a paper for a doctorate or something, which I'm, I'm, I'm not, I just did my undergrad. I'm not, it's not like I'm 33 and almost about to finish my doctorate. I'm not that advanced. Oh, you're good. You're fine. We'll wipe that stuff up later. You're too sweet. But he said the whole point of conducting research and why you do these double blind surveys and all of that stuff is to eliminate all possible bias. And I said, I get that, but you can't eliminate all bias, correct? And he's like, no, you can. I was like, I see what you're saying, but my perspective is the fact that we are dealing with humans, there can be a chance for bias to be manipulated. And he responded to me, numbers never lie. I'm like, correct, but humans can make them look real deceiving. 
Absolutely. And he kind of chuckled and he's like, fair point. So. Absolutely. Uh, I definitely, yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that. There, and there's so many things, yeah, within the justice system where they, I don't want to say try and pad the numbers, but try and pad the numbers to where it looks more. Yeah, it becomes. It, does. it looks a different way than it should, I guess. It becomes a game of win loss and you're not actually. And this is one thought I've had recently. And I wish I had asked this when I was on jury duty years ago where they're asking if you could be unbiased. And I don't think anybody can say fully unbiased. Again, you're dealing with humans. But it feels like to me the whole point of the justice system, and I could be naive in thinking this way, is that between the judge, the jury, the prosecutor, and the defense, we should all trying to be worked together to get to the truth and justice and let the chips fall may where they may. But as we just saw in, gosh, the Johnny... Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial it's it's all about winning and that's to me not necessarily the best the best thing for... I think that's the difference between when it comes to civil and criminal law for sure um I'm definitely more interested yet in the criminal side of things than the civil side of things uh just because and also the amount that has to be proven in it uh and a civil case, it only has to be a preponderance of evidence. Uh, but which means eh, it's mostly there. Like we can mostly get along with this as and, opposed to And in this to case, criminal. preponderance of evidence, break that down for me. So preponderance of evidence would be, yeah. in a civil trial, like giant up Amber Heard, I didn't like almost overwhelming yes. amount. Okay. All right. As opposed to in a criminal trial where it's absolute, like, they are guilty. Like it is an overwhelming beyond like, reasonable doubt. Beyond, exactly. Beyond reasonable doubt. And so that's the difference when you're in a criminal trial, especially like if you're ever going to jury duty, which I actually have never been lucky enough to do. And I'm really upset about that. And now I don't think they would want me. I enjoyed but, it. I don't, uh, I don't understand why it gets such a bad rap. Yes. It's like, okay, I get, I got called for it. I was actually in AmeriCorps and I was uh, not able to do it obviously. And then I, got my conviction so then they didn't want me and uh now i mean i guess since i just became a georgia resident i could get uh you know called here so maybe they will um but you know they probably won't want me once they get to the jury selection process because once they hear i'm probably pre-law and you know with intentions uh they'll probably dismiss me but uh you know that that's the difference is in a civil trial you just need the preponderance of evidence like it's mostly there but in a criminal trial, it's beyond a reasonable doubt this person did it. Yeah, and it was funny when I was in jury duty. The guy sitting next to me is like, "I, I will be here for about thirty minutes and then leave." I was like, "Oh, you're about to like just leave, just not take any of this." He's like, "No, I'm a lawyer." And yeah. sure enough, when what is the part of the jury experience? What's it called when they are asking the jury? Voir dire. Yep. Um. Yeah. When they got to that part. They were just doing the basic, oh, your name's so-and-so, Jim McJimerson, so-and-so. What do you do for a living? I'm a defense attorney. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're good. We're exactly. good. Exactly. And uh, especially, and I, I guarantee you, it was probably the prosecution who let him go. As a defense attorney, they'd probably want to fight for him, but that's a whole other thing. You can let people go on, you know, preemptive challenges, you know, all that kind of yeah, stuff. So. And so that's another thing that is, again having like no bias and you're also supposed to have jurors who have 
basically no prior understanding of a case, right? Yes. So I was asking my best friend's dad, um, and he's one of my best friends, Larry Korn. He's a public defendant here in Atlanta. Um, in regards to the George Floyd case, mm-hmm. I was like, unless you're going and finding 12 hermits that live under a rock, how in this day and age are you finding 12 jurors, 18 and over, who are just clueless about this case existing? He's like, that is pretty much impossible. Yep. Absolutely. And, Especially with social media and stuff. It's just, it's out there. But then he also talked about, I guess, one of the ways the justice system is structured is it's on the prosecutor and the defense to kind of come to an amicable 12 jurors, something yes. like that. Yes. So, yeah, in the whole Floyd Dyer process, you're wanting to have people who, obviously, if you're on the defense, you want people who are going to be, you feel like are on your side. And if you're on the prosecution, you're going to want people that are on your side. Um, however, there is a problem uh, with coming to that agreement sometimes, obviously. Um, because if I want somebody who, as, you know, a potential, you know, criminal defense attorney, I'm going to want somebody who doesn't always absolutely agree with everything that they can see the possibility that a cop got it wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want somebody who's going to fully believe that the cop arrested this person, right? You know, I want someone who's going to be a little bit more liberal in their views like that, uh, as opposed to someone who maybe doesn't think that an officer can do anything wrong, you know? So, obviously the prosecution's going to want the person that thinks that the cop did everything right. So... That's where you get into your challenges, and it's it's really a whole process of trying to find a solid jury, and if you're ever looking for a good example, uh, there's a new Netflix show, The Lincoln Lawyer, and... Yeah, I, I, I wanted to watch that. So, super good, and there's a whole episode, and if that's even the only episode you watch, is the Boy Dyer episode, it's, it's really good at explaining the whole process of how a jury gets selected. So it's, it's really interesting. And I will say that I think it's like episode four. Yeah. And uh, okay. it's, it's really good. But So I listened to this small, obscure podcast called The Joe Rogan Experience. Super small. Um, yeah. I think I'm one of the only few people who knows about it. Poor guy. And he's trying to make a living. You know, you really feel for his family. Absolutely. But he has this guy. Um, it's I think it's Josh Dubin. And he runs The Innocence Project. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think he also does a show. Wow. Wow. This is crazy. And um, he also does a show called Junk Science. And one of the things he mentioned on the Rogan podcast is the people who are, again, very small podcast. So want to plug it while I can help him out the best I can. He was talking about the almost very minimum amount of education, if anything, you need to do to be considered an expert on arson. And when he was explaining all their qualifications, I was like, that doesn't sound much more than what I currently have right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely. Yeah. Uh, the Innocence Project is a great program. Actually, they have the Innocence Project and then a lot of states have their own. Uh, this year, I did my birthday donation to the Georgia Innocence Project. They are in downtown uh, Atlanta. Okay. Uh, they are right next to Georgia State. And uh, it's a really good program because, yeah, they do everything yeah, from getting people off for 
arson things. Uh, DNA is a big one. Uh, Holy moly. We got to talk to some guys uh, who were recently exonerated uh, through the Georgia Innocence Project in my first semester at Georgia State. And one guy served 25 years in prison wrongfully for a rape he didn't commit up in North Georgia. And after 25 years, he was let out because the DNA was apparently inconclusive from back then so or you know it overturned what he had had so they were able to let him out um you know people who we talked to a guy who was in there 41 years on a murder charge and but 41 years ago dna evidence isn't where it's at now so he gets it re-ran and then you know through the innocence project and he was let out you know um Actually, my professor this year uh, had a uh, case that it was a man that she defended when she was with uh, the defender's office, and she told us she had to miss school uh, for a week. Uh, she was going to have her husband, who was a civil rights attorney, uh, cover her class, so, you know, he was definitely qualified to substitute. Yeah. Uh, and because a guy that she had seven years ago... Um, GBI came to her with evidence and said, our lab got it wrong. So, you know, the fact that GBI was coming to her and saying, Hey, we, we think your guy's been in, you know, prison for seven years wrongly, you know? And so that's something that, I mean, that wasn't the innocence project, but that was, you know, some of it, DNA is not always right. Um, I'm tentative to say kudos to the GBI because they got it wrong, but kudos to them for at least owning up to it because a lot of times I've heard stories where they got it wrong. It's because the defense happens to have relentless defense attorneys who know that they got it wrong. And then they have to much like you would in a trial prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they got it wrong. But because you're working for the government or police, you almost seem like you're given carte blanche to mess up and oh, you're, you're, you're allowed to have stuff wrong, you know? These these defendants aren't, they've got to be perfect, but you're allowed to mess up. Absolutely. It was a uh, case, which I'm, you know, not going to go fully into it because I don't know everything, but it was uh, down in South Georgia and it was a man who his wife um, very sadly committed suicide and it was a gun that was in the house, you know, it's Mm -hmm. one that they, you know, would take and shoot cans in in the backyard and stuff and uh, that was the gun that she used, and obviously his DNA was on the gun, but so was their child's DNA, you know, their 15-year-old, because it's, yeah. it's the family gun down in South Georgia, you know, but uh, he, you know, wife left a note, everything, but for some reason this, you know, prosecutor in the city definitely had it out for him, so he ended up, you know, even though he, not already did he lose his wife because she committed suicide, but she, he's in prison for it. You know, and I'm not trying to compare the two situations, so forgive me for doing so with such a serious situation. But when I used to work at my summer camp, I would always, there'd be sometimes when I'd go up to my camp director's office, it's late at night, we'd have a drink and just talk. And he would always mention that he was so glad right now, this is 2017, 18-ish, that he was getting closer to retiring than he was just starting up a camp. And I asked him why he had that perspective. And he said, Bobo, you know what one of my biggest issues with the world is nowadays? And I said, what's that, Raj? There's never just an accident anymore. If someone trips or falls, somebody's got to be liable and somebody's got to be held accountable. And we're always looking for just, mm-hmm. we've 
just society right now has this victim mentality where we want to like like we were just talking about it like yeah you got dealt a bad uh set of cards complaining about it, it's not going to do too much for you at a certain point you have to say this sucks it is what it is but i'm going to hold the line yep. and this bad string of luck ends with me yep. i'm not going to keep perpetuating it forward into the world and again nobody seems to have just an accident anymore it's like Oh, well, who, who put this root here in the ground? Well, you know, this is managed by this wildlife service. Nope. So we've now they've got to be sued because trees started growing. Yeah. I think about, you know, and it probably anybody who's listening, if you're not in Texas, you probably didn't hear about it. But uh, so there was a car accident like a year ago and it was in Fort Worth and it was a like 20 car pileup in a snowstorm. And it's because... And this was when Texas had that rare winter storm? Yeah, when the state shut down. It was going wild. A few months after that, Seattle, Washington was getting to 116 degrees. Texas is freezing. Right. It was like a 20-car pileup. And the problem was, is that it was on this weird section where they weren't sure if it was the state's part of the highway or if it was the toll roads part. So nobody nobody salted it. And, like, 20 cars and, like, 18-wheelers. It took, like, four days for them to clean it up, like, off of, like, the main highway. It would be like an accident happening on 75 because nobody knew who was supposed to salt the on-ramp. You know, like, that's what it came down to. Like, it was insane. And, yeah, and it was nobody knew who to give the blame to or who to take the You know, it was it was insane. But yeah. Texas is insane. Yeah, it's... I'm it's happy wi- to be back in Georgia. It's wild. I, I eventually want to... I do want to kind of, I don't know if I'd want to live out there, but I'd want to own some property in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely, I mean, every area of Texas is different, so. You know. Of course, it's so big. Yeah, absolutely. Too. It's so big. So you were in the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Yeah, I was. Is that, again, Texas is so big. Region-wise, is that like north, south, east, west? Uh, where, it's like central. Central north Texas, north central Texas. It's a... Uh, literally off of highway 20 like when i moved out here i took highway 20 the entire way uh until i hit i-75 uh and it's so it goes straight across but it's uh more northern central texas uh the first dfw is the first like big city you're gonna hit when you come on 20 into the state if you're coming up that way so yeah okay yeah it's uh you know it's definitely different out here and i'm definitely welcoming the change and i'm loving georgia state like opportunities at georgia state are just fantastic and um i mean just man all the professors i'm learning from and the stuff i'm learning like from these professors who have these hand-on experiences uh it's just insane you know it's stuff that i couldn't get back home especially especially for the cost you know uh georgia state's super affordable uh, like I have one professor who was the president of the public defender's office for mm-hmm. like 20 years. And he's yeah. been, uh, you know, he was a attorney back in like the eighties in Atlanta and he's been here forever. And now he's in education, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And that's one thing I am very fortunate about through high school and my collegiate career, more often than not, my professors and teachers were amazing. And it's the ones you hear about that you just dream about. They teach you to think critically. They're not just testing you to test you. They actually challenge you. They hold you accountable. They care for you. It's 
it was great. It was such a blessing and I'm so thankful. And eventually I want to pursue a master's or possibly even another undergraduate program. I just love and am fascinated by the process of learning new stuff. What do you think you want to get your master's in? So I do eventually at some point want to pursue a degree in law. Um, But if I were going to do a master's, it would be communication. I am just fascinated with the art of communication and learning how to speak and deal and interact with people. That's really cool. One class I was a little, at first I was annoyed that they made me take, uh, because being an older college student, I had taken the class, geez, uh, like 2008 or so, like 14 years ago. I had taken it dual enrollment in high school, my first go around at the community college in Texas. And, um, it was human communications and Georgia state didn't count it reasonable. It's been 14 years since I've taken the class. I know communication has changed in 14 years. Or has it. it, Exactly. But uh, I was in that class with a bunch of freshmen, you know, 18 year olds and 19 year olds. Young guns, as they they say, as they're talking about. Exactly. Here I am, this like 30 year old. And, you know, it was really kind of cool. I was annoyed at first that I was going to have to take this communications class with all this freshman. And then I was like, okay, actually, this is kind of cool. And I actually ended up learning like a a lot of cool stuff. It was uh, was an interesting class, that's for sure. Yeah, it is fascinating how quickly we can get humbled (laughs) with our expectations. Exactly. I was like, wow, okay. And these, uh, these freshmen, these uh, new age kids, man, they are woke. Like we, you know, when you're doing your, it's almost speech class, your speech you had to do for the semester. Uh, a lot of the kids did theirs on like mental health and how to have self-care Sunday and, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, okay, cool. I thought we were going to see how to, you know, build a rocket ship, but you know. So I find it fascinating that, yeah, I've got to stop using the word fascinating, by the way. Um, I find it interesting that you talk about how they're so woke. And part of me, this is what I struggle with all the time. On the one hand, I love that we are now becoming more aware about mental health Mm -hmm. and some of the stigmas that come along with it and how it's okay for men to cry and be vulnerable and, you know, have what you would, I guess, traditionally call feminine qualities. But then a lot of times I look and I feel like we're going overboard and then everybody's just looking to be a victim. Oh yeah. I mean, you definitely gotta, and that's where I think every person needs to within themselves, find out, look, figure out who's genuine and who's not, you know? And I think that's not a bad way. If you want to fall sucker to someone who's almost playing it, then Maybe you should have looked into it a little bit more, you know what I mean? But I just like the fact that these, you know, they listen, sometimes anxiety happens. And I'm like, wow, I never in a million years when I was 18 years old would have told all of my peers that I deal with anxiety. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, wow, y'all are just throwing it out there. Okay. Could you imagine walking up to Chip on ASP and telling him you didn't want to paint because you felt a little anxious that morning? Exactly. No. Yeah. No way. He would backhand me, rightfully so, tell me to put on my socks and shoes, tell me I'm late and get to work. Absolutely. Which would, what I, it would have been what I needed then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's insane. But, you know, it was definitely a very eye-opening having that class. But I also used it to also somewhat play that 30-year-old mama bear. And I gave them all, you know, for my speech while they're telling me, hey, it's cool to, 
you know, be open about your feelings. I'm telling them, hey, so if you have a police interaction, this is how you deal with it. Because I realize a lot of you are out of the house for the first time on your own, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was that's what I did my how-to speech on is how to handle being pulled over, you know? Um, but it's, uh, they definitely, they, yeah, they humbled me. So, and I, you know, tried to play mama bear a little bit. Yeah, it's cool. But if you have an open mind, open heart, you're able to learn from them as well. Yeah. So it's a two-way process. Absolutely. You know, you none of us have all the answers. And especially as technology keeps advancing and changing our lives, you know, you've got to be able to adjust. And some people who are just too set in their ways do not do that. And then kind of end up getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Oh, God. So how much longer you got at school? Where are you at in that? a year year and a half ish left still under my undergrad because so many things unfortunately didn't transfer um but what if what if it's fortunate that they didn't transfer and it gives you an opportunity to really hone in on your craft and learn more and it's giving me more time to study for the lsat and stuff like that because frankly i almost wish they didn't transfer over my english credits because dude and i'm sure you're going to get into this with law APA mm. can just fuck right off. Yes. Respectfully, of course. Respectfully. Thankfully, I, since so many of my classes are pre law uh, focused or have previous attorneys teaching the classes, uh, they've been really good about they're kind of do what you want because you can do MLA, APA, whatever, because when you get to law school, they don't do either. Yeah. Uh, law school has its own thing. It's called the Iraq format. <laughs> I think it's I-R-A-C or something yeah. like that. And it's yeah. like, basically all my undergrad, they're like, yeah, you can do whatever because none of it really matters when you get to law school. So, cause they're going to teach you something completely different there. Mm-hmm. I have had one teacher who has been like, okay, so I would like it if you did it in the Iraq format, just because I know it'll help you in the long run. But, uh, yeah, it, I hate all that. I hate it. It's I can't just say, "Hey, my friend Tara said this." It's got to be, "Oh, you cited, yeah." You've got to say, and again, I think they should uh, treat it like the criminal justice system at that point. If you think I plagiarized, the burden of proof is on you. Yep. Pour through the volumes of data. Yeah, oh. my uh, I'm thankful my mom's a teacher because I can send her a lot of my papers and stuff, or have her look them over and be like, "Okay, so did I get my citations right?" Because this professor wants APA or this one wants MLA or this one doesn't care. Like which one's easiest. And thankfully I have my mom to help me with that. Even at 31 years old, I'm like, mom, help me with my paper. Proofread this. No, I was doing the same thing with friends and family. And, um, my good friend, Larry, who's that, um, public defendant, his wife is a, I believe an English teacher at SPSU slash Kennesaw state. And so I'm always sending her stuff over or I did. And she just gave me, a writer's book that has the current editions of MLA, Chicago, APA. And I would joke with my teachers. I was like, what I hate most about APA is, is it's just so bogus. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I was like, we have the rules of writing established not by English majors, but by psychologists. That's like Stephen King going and setting the rules of mental health and how they should handle themselves. We've got the wrong field interacting. And I'm sure there's rhymes or reasons. I'm sure somebody's like, oh, you actually don't know this. No, I don't know this, but I'm just talking shit for the time being. 
yeah, it's it's annoying, and I think they have websites now that do that for you, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, and because I guess there's so much information out there, my papers were allowed to be, and I think this was a Purdue policy, I could be wrong, but because there's so much information out there, and inevitably, you're probably going to say something in a similar fashion that somebody else did. I think they allow you a certain percentage of the paper to kind of be close to plagiarized. Yeah, my professors will always say, like, you know, obviously I know you're going to be using quotes or this and this, or, you know, you're gathering from these different articles, or especially when I'd be doing, like, case briefs, because case brief, you're literally reading over, like, a Supreme Court decision. Obviously, you're going to be using the same words they are, and, um basically rewriting it and uh you know they would give us like limits like i want it to be no more than 15 percent, you know because i know you're going to be using quotes you know so that was kind of helpful that they would do that yeah and i wonder if as we start getting to a more electronic based technology if you get something off a website or a blog or a medical journal online let me just copy the hyperlink and then then I also don't want to do the bib or reference page. Right. Like you can, if you want to know bad enough, look on the website and do your own research. I don't want to tell you which author it is, all four of them, which date they did it, which volume it is. Figure it out yourself. Where they were, when they did it. (laughs) They want everything. They want all the details. It's, It's absolutely ridiculous. So what else has been keeping you busy and occupado now that you're back in Atlanta. And uh, and how has that transition been overall? Are you doing okay with it? It's been okay. Uh I mean I will say this first year. I've almost been here a year. I mean what, it's June, I moved here in August. Uh coming up, yep. It it's been hard. Uh you know, I've lived in Texas for twenty years and you know, while I do did do have friends uh out here from when I lived out here twenty years ago. I didn't want to necessarily fall back on that and depend on those friends, you know, like I wanted to move out here and maybe find something different, but I've just been so busy with school and then I do like Uber and Lyft and um, stuff like that. So it's been a little hard, Um, but I will say since I've started doing Uber passengers, I have found a couple little places in downtown that seem pretty cool and I actually went to one of them not too long ago it's called my sister's room and uh it was a uh, a lesbian bar oh and, nice uh it was actually one of the few left in the country there's only 20 in the whole country and like yeah that's what I heard one of them's in Atlanta so I went and I checked it out for a little bit uh definitely took some uh some bravery you know a little bit of social anxiety I'd never really done anything yeah. like that before just uh but, you know, I went and I checked it out and it was cool. I definitely, I like... Did you get to meet any lovely ladies out there? I did not. Just immediately. I went in. They were having a drag show. That was cool. And I uh, grabbed a drink and, you know, I talked to the bartender for a few, but that was about it. I made it in. We, we didn't go any further than talking to anybody. I mean, we made it in. So that's already yeah. a step, right? But, I mean, it was really cool. I like that Atlanta has so many cool neighborhoods, you know, like... Mm so many neighborhoods that you can go and everything has a little bit of a different vibe to it. You know, I really like that. Yes. I I love it. And then even these um, suburbs like Marietta, Smyrna, Roswell, Woodstock, they're all getting their own little downtown scenes. The Marietta square is popping off. And I went to some friends last night to the horned Albury in Kennesaw. That was awesome. That's really cool. 
cool. Yeah, I haven't been out too much in Kennesaw area. I do have one uh, buddy up in that area who I actually know him from when I lived out in Texas. Uh, and he's out here. And uh, he's actually an Oregon transplant. He uh, grew up out here as a kid, moved out there, mm-hmm. and then he's back here. But um, he uh, we he took me out to the Marriott Square one night, and we went to Owls over in Kennesaw one yep. night. But, and that's right down the street from my house. But mm-hmm. nobody out here has Deep Eddie Lemon, which is my go-to. Oh, that vodka? Yeah. And yeah. nobody has it. So it's been a little, uh, I did find it at the local Chili's. Uh, oh, nice. You know, nice. You know, but, uh, if anybody, if any of my friends or listeners can get me in connection with some Deep Eddie Lemons, I'd greatly appreciate yeah. it. Trying to help a, help a homie yeah. out. Like I can find it at the liquor store, but none of the bars have it. So that's been... Yeah, I'm wanting. Yeah, that's kind of weird, especially with summer coming around. But nowadays, you've got these seltzers that are just clearing out everything. Yes. Yeah, and every some seltzers. It's so funny how everybody they talk about it like they're drinking it for the health benefits. It's only it's only a hundred calories. Okay, so I guess the twelve you had just don't matter, right? (laughs) Yeah. I actually like them because I don't. I've never liked beer. Uh, it's definitely an acquired taste. Yeah, and so, you know, I never liked beer, so I like the seltzers because a lot of times, like, you know, especially during the summer, you know, pool days and stuff like that, Mm. my friends are like, oh, let's go get a case of beer. And I'm like, hmm. Well, I'm not going to be that person that pulls up with a bottle of vodka. So I guess oh, I'm just not be. drinking today. You should be. And so most of the time I just wouldn't drink. But now that I'm like, all right, cool, let's get a pack of claws, you know? You absolutely should be that. Live your best life, Tara. I mean, if we're doing that, we're just going to pull up with a bottle of Rumple. Oh, wow. <laughs> Is that, I, had a, I had a ranch water the other day when I did my first stand-up set at the Laughing Skull in Vortex. And I think what I realized about myself when I had that ranch water, it was a Topo Chico. They pour a little bit out, do a shot of tequila in there, and then put the lime in there. Yeah, that sounds pretty right. I'm. I just don't like the taste of tequila. I am not. A, I am not a tequila drinker. Tequila. Tequila. Yeah. Even tequila? like I'll do a margarita, but I'll do about one, and I'm just like, ah, eh, that's. I just don't think it tastes that good. You're. You're not good. It's you're not, not good. It's not my thing. I don't. Not me. No. 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 I don't like tequila. No. 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 So what is a. Uh, what kind of alcohol is Rumplemints? Rumple is dangerous. Uh, Rumple stilt skin. I guess it's technically a liqueur. I don't know, but it's like a hundred proof, and it tastes like Christmas in your mouth. Is liqueur like the equivalent of you know when you ask somebody what type of dog it is and they don't know, so they're like it's a mutt. It's a mutt. Yeah, liqueur is a mutt. It's a little bit of vodka. It's a little bit of tequila. It's just whatever was on the butcher floor, we just threw it together and you've got liqueur. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Rumpel's like a like a winter fireball, if you will. It's like a minty fireball and it's dangerous. That's for A minty sure. fireball. So yeah. are you a big fireball drinker? No, not anymore. I'll tell you what. Son, did you have a bad experience with oh, it? Oh, I did. Uh, I think it was when I graduated culinary school. Uh, so what culinary school did you go to? Uh, the culinary school of Fort Worth. What is, hmm, trying to think of how, all right, so let's say your birthday's coming up in August and you've got a world-renowned chef that's going to throw you down a meal. What are you going with? Ooh. And it can, it's got to be a reasonable meal that you could consume, like in one sitting. Maybe leftovers, but you can't be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a steak with 10 pounds of sushi, then we're going to do some fresh red snapper, we're going to have five soups. Like a reasonable meal, what are you going with? 
Oh, man. Oh, that's hard. How are you going to ask a foodie that question? Uh, I know. And we're going to do it in August, right? Yep. Okay. So I got two months to think about it. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey. oh, man. I don't know. Maybe some. So I'm sucker for some good, like, authentic Asian food. Like, specifically Southeastern Asia. Like, I love some, like, Laos and Thai food mm-hmm. and Vietnamese. Um, that's always probably my, I don't want to say like comfort food. Yeah, almost my comfort food. So something like that, maybe like a mm-hmm. solid like Eastern Asian, Southeastern Asian dinner would be solid. Uh, I'm going actually to New York in August and I've been... Oh, when in August? Uh, 4th through the 8th. Okay, so I might be up in Pennsylvania around really? that time, so we should talk about trying yes. to link up. I've just been writing down like... and all the food places I want to go. You know what I mean? Because I'm going on a foodcation. That's what I'm calling it. Good for you. So the only time I went to New York was on a theater trip in college. And I was like, man, I get to experience this city, food and culture. I'm so excited. I want to do like food carts and stuff like that, because that's to me what a true Northeastern city Mm -hmm. is. They've obviously got incredible restaurants, but there's just something about grabbing your breakfast or lunch from a cart on the street. And you know where the entirety of my class decided they wanted to go? Where? Oh, I didn't go with them. I went and met up with them and told them they were foolish and they knew. They went to TGI Fridays. Ew. And then they Sorry. were complaining. Be- no, no, you should have been more grotesque yeah. or grossed out about it. So Did you- they go to one in like Times Square or something? Yes. And yeah. then they're confused because they're paying $20 for a chicken tender plate in New York. And they're like, and they spent like almost a fifth of their stipend on one meal. And they're like, what did you get to eat? I was like, oh, I had this awesome gyro uh, bag of chips and a Pepsi. They're like, how much was it? Six bucks. Yep. They're like, what? I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go and eat at a chain restaurant, no matter how good it is. I want something unique. Yep. Unique Absolutely. New York. That's why I'm calling it a foodcation. I'm going by myself, just up there to go eat for four days. And just do whatever. I've started making a whole bunch of lists. Uh, even stuff I've shamefully seen on TikTok. Uh, there's like this one guy I follow. Uh, I wish I remembered his name. But he, uh, he'll he go through and he'll go through different neighborhoods with like 20 bucks and find stuff to eat. And I mean, there's places where you can go down in like Chinatown and get six dumplings for three dollars yeah it's this cool hybrid of you can find some of the world's best food and that twenty dollars they will laugh at you that you might be able to purchase a napkin from them but then another place you can be eaten almost for the entire week for 20 bucks yep so i'm excited definitely to go just eat around the city uh literally i'm just gonna go eat around the city that's all i want to do i want to go get a chopped cheese at a bodega uh bagel at a deli you know and when you and apparently there's something about the water in new york that makes the bagels okay very unique and yeah apparently people who are hip and savvy and have a good palate and can decipher this stuff apparently something about the water system in new york is what makes the bagels just hands down the best. And I've heard other people who aren't from New York uh, confirm this because a lot of times you just, ah, it's just New York. You're saying that because it's New York. And in reality, this actually sucks. When you graduated culinary school and when you finished, did that make going to restaurants a better experience, worse experience? Do you feel you were critiquing it too much? How did going and getting food 
change. I want to say it made it. I don't want to say I made it either. I definitely was more appreciative of seeing what was going on, you know, because I knew what was going on, be- like, behind the scenes. Um, maybe more, I mean, I've been in the service industry forever, even before I was in culinary school, but, like, it makes you more, uh, I don't want to say, like, hum- giving of your service staff but you understand when they're overwhelmed or you understand when something happens because you've been there like you understand the like oh man they just got triple set and the kitchen's short two people you know like you're a little bit more like oh i get it like take your time this party of 12 walked in and expected to be sat right away without a reservation a little bit more understanding i guess uh coming from the service industry and then going out as a service industry and it definitely you know I understand mistakes happen. I've made those mistakes, you know? So I think it, in turn, it's also helped, you know, like me and my friends, like my family, like when we go out to dinner, like my, my parents know now to like pre-bust their table, like stack your plates, make it easier on your server. You know, like I never really understood why that wasn't just a thing in general. I, I, I always do that. Again, it just, it feels like it, Builds good habits and good etiquette, good courtesy for other people. And it makes it easier on your server. Yeah, and I'm real big. I think a good general rule for everyone should be, and it's not always possible, but leave something better than you found it. Absolutely. Leave something better than you found it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tara, I don't know if you realize this, but we just knocked out an hour. An hour. Sweet. Yep. And this is... Hey, your first name's... Is it... Is your first or middle name, Nicole? Neither. It's Renee. Huh. Okay. Well, then I just got confused because Nikki's first name is Tara, right? Yes. Tara Nicole McCarthy. And didn't y'all at one point go to the same doctors? Yeah. And I'm Renee. And that was the only difference how they knew. Especially because our birthdays are like five days apart. Yeah. And I remember they almost got like y'all's medication mixed yep. up because me, Kirby, um, Jamie and Nikki, when we were hanging out with the McCarthys, had to go to Jamie's doctor's office. And it was so funny. Miss McCarthy just comes out so cool, like nothing's going on. We're like, hey, is Jamie okay? She's oh, yeah, no big deal. They're just checking him for tuberculosis. And me and Kirby are like, uh, you mean the thing that wiped out Edgar Allan's Poe's family? It, it sounds like it might be a big deal if that's what's going right. on. We were sharing drinks and stuff. We were very intimate as a youth group. We were sharing everything. And then they're like, oh, we almost gave you the, the wrong medication. They're like, oh, we can't believe that almost happened. And I'm like, really? It sounds pretty believable with their names and birthdays almost aligned. I know. And, but she did legally change her name from Tara to Nicole. So yeah. I, th- I think she. we actually just had a conversation on her birthday. So. Yeah, and I've actually got to get her her uh, baby shower present. Yes. So old old Prego's McCarthy there. <laughs> Or not McCarthy. I forget how you pronounce the last name. It's like Farron's or something. Her husband's awesome. I haven't got a chance to meet him yet. He wasn't there when we had Miss Springer's thing. He's a gem of a... Oh, God. That was... That was a tough one to get through. It was fun, though. It was. It was literally like my first week back in Georgia, too. So it was, it was a little nice to come and see everybody when I first got here, you know? She was and is the GOAT. Yeah. The greatest of all time. We need to rename that youth house after her. The Lisa Springer Youth House. It really should be the Lisa Springer Youth House. I'm I mean, here can, for it. can you think of anybody else who contributed more to St. Andrews nope. than Lisa Springer? Nope. Nope. 
keep searching. Well, Tara, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast. doesn't really matter to me if you haven't. But one thing I try and do, there's no bits or segments. I just like to have conversations with people. But I do try and leave just a little something for the audience and the guests. So I like to add end each episode with a quote. And here's what I got for you today. All right? You won't find no resolution in the bottom of a bottle. In the stars of Aristotle, the only pro- the only answer to the problem is people, loving people. That's the enemy of everything that's evil. Ain't no quick fix at the end of a needle. It's just people, loving people. And that's by Garth Brooks. And I think that is what this world needs now more than anything. Let's learn to laugh at ourselves. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt. Let's embrace forgiveness. And let's just love each other. We all... We all have a story to tell. We're all looking for love, for belonging. You know, let's just love each other. How about that, Tara? I completely agree, man. And thank you so much for having me. Like, this has been so much fun. Hey, and you know, anytime, anytime you ever need anything, you hit up your boy and I'll be there for you, okay? Absolutely. I can't wait. All right. Love you, T-Dog. Thank you. Thank you, man.